The only thing the prohibition on travel will do is to further damage the economies of the affected countries and undermine their ability to respond to and also to recover from the pandemic. We call upon these countries that have imposed travel bans on our country and our other Southern African sister countries to immediately and urgently reverse their decisions and lift the bans they have imposed before any further damage is done on our economies and to the livelihoods of our people. President Cyril Ramaphosa, in his latest address to the nation on Sunday, condemned the travel bans against South Africa. The bans were implemented shortly after South Africa announced the discovery of the new COVID-19 variant, Omicron. South Africans have been left reeling as the tourism and hospitality industries face yet another bleak festive season, leaving many companies on the brink of bankruptcy. I'm Catherine Rice, multimedia journalist for News24, and this is The Story. This week, we'll find out more about the new variant, how it's likely to impact on South Africa's fourth wave, and whether mandatory vaccines are the answer to ending the pandemic. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard, and uncovered this week. We're now joined by Kyle Cowan, investigative journalist for News24. Kyle, thank you for your time. You wrote a column this week where you expressed your anger about these travel bans and that the world has learned nothing in the last 20 months. Why do you feel this way? It's a really simple answer. You know, if we look at what has happened in over the past 20 months in terms of not only how COVID has spread, and but how governments have responded to it in terms of, you know, here in South Africa, interprovincial travel was stopped and it didn't really stop the spread of the virus. The problem is, is that once we sequence these new variants, once we find out about them, it's already too late. It's already weeks into the process and the virus has already been spreading or the variant of that virus has already been spreading. So it's, it's really a measure that really causes economic harms but doesn't really do much in terms of public health in stopping the spread of the virus. It might slow it down a little bit. We might see a slight delayed impact, but what we've seen in the last week with, with news on, on the Omicron variant is that it's being found increasingly in more and more places in the world, which sort of proves my point. It's already out there. The public health experts I speak to tell me the horse is bolted. These measures are too late. Kyle, the president appealed to countries imposing travel bans to lift restrictions immediately. We haven't seen that happen. Do you think they will? I don't think they will lift them immediately. I think that they are suffering under their own COVID burdens, which we also do have to take into account. You know, the UK and Europe are seeing strong surges in cases driven by the Delta variant, and they are obviously scared that a new, more transmissible variant of, of, of COVID, which could potentially escape vaccine immunity, which could be more transmissible, we don't know yet. And, and obviously they're worried that if they just let things carry on as normal, that they're setting themselves up for failure. But, you know, there's arguments for and against these things. And I think the argument against travel bans and lifting them immediately is, is stronger because we've already seen what happened in the past. 
whether they will actually do anything to heed President Ramaphosa is, is a different conversation altogether because they're trying to do the best that they can to protect their countries, whether that's advisable or not. So they will not listen to South Africa, which is not an important player in their local politics in any way, you know, to, to sort of stop these travel bans. They will do what they think is best and we just have to live with that. The Omicron variant was detected by South African scientists. Can you tell us when exactly and how that happened? So there's three legs to how Omicron was found. And the South African scientists who made the announcement are part, are one part of the discovery of Omicron. There are also scientists in Botswana at the, at the University of Botswana and Harvard Partnership for HIV and AIDS research. And then there's also scientists in Hong Kong who also detected it. And they basically uploaded, you know, their findings to this global repository all within hours of each other on the 23rd of November. And in South Africa, what happened was a, a, a lab technician, a junior scientist uh, by the name of Alicia Vermeulen, who works for Lancet Laboratories, first noticed something called S-gene fallout, which is where PCR testing for COVID does not pick up the spike protein in COVID samples that are positive. And they had last seen this with the alpha variant. So she noticed this on the 4th of November for the first time, and then increasingly positive COVID samples were showing this S-gene fallout, and she raised the alarm. So Lancet was able to effectively notify the NICD, and then they started sequencing more and more samples and pretty immediately realized that they were dealing with something that they hadn't seen before. Do you think other countries watching what happened to us may be rather more reticent about coming forward should they discover a new variant? Definitely. I definitely think there will be. It's especially countries in the global south, like South Africa, I think there will be, you know, a level of pushback against making announcements on new variants. But at the at the other end of the spectrum, you know, these scientists, they have a moral and ethical obligation to notify the world. So there's always going to be this, you know, the the political side of this is always, you know, you're doing great damage to our country. But the scientific sort of obligation on, on, on these scientists is to announce as early as possible to warn the world. So people are going to be reticent. They are going to be hesitant. But I think we will still see these announcements being made if and as and when new variants do come. The president in his address spoke about the very real possibility of mandatory vaccinations. Can you tell us about that and whether it will work? It's a very difficult thing because effectively what the president is saying is that they will try and introduce these vaccine mandates to get people to get the vaccine more, to get more people jabbed. And it's a problem because on the one side from the public health side, it's important because we know that the less people are vaccinated, the more chance the virus will have to live in someone and mutate. But on the other side of this coin is that it, it is our constitutional right not to be forced to do things. So it's an extremely difficult position and it's an extremely difficult sort of topic and it will work. Vaccine mandates do work. The problem is, is that you cannot force people to take medication or to do things that they don't want to do. And it's going to be this really delicate balancing act between trying to convince people that a vaccine mandate is important for the public health of the country and not only the country, but also the rest of the world. And at the same time, you're saying to them, but we might be trampling all over your constitutional rights. 
it's extremely difficult and it's an extremely difficult conversation. In terms of pure public health epidemiology, they will work because people need to go to the office to do their jobs. You know, if, you, if you're working at a company and the company says you've got to get the vaccine before you can come back to work, you're going to do it because it's your livelihood. And then we need to have the conversation about whether it's the right or the wrong thing to do in terms of our rights. But it has to be probably be done because we're just not seeing the level of vaccine uptake in South Africa that we need to see. Do you think it's going to end up in the courts, this question? Most likely. And I think that the thinking around how to introduce these things will be formulated in such a way, you know, knowing that it's going to probably end up before the constitutional court at one point or another. And it's going to be a really interesting test of the Ramaphosa government's ability to balance public health and the law and the constitution on the other side. But it's really important to stress that at the end of the day, while these issues are very sensitive and very important, we are still sitting in unprecedented times. A lot of us have become used to COVID now and become even a little blasé about it, but this, it's still unprecedented. A pandemic like this has not been seen in, in, you know, in our modern times. You know, he's not trying to be a dictator and, and try and run things his way. They're trying to do what's best for everyone so that we can find some semblance of normality again. Exactly, what's best for the collective. Thank you so much for your time, Kyle. That was Kyle Cowan, investigative journalist for News24. We're now joined by international vaccine expert, Professor Helen Rees, who is based in Johannesburg. She's the chairperson of the Witz Reproduction Health and HIV Institute and the board chairperson of the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority. Professor, thank you for your time. What do we know about the Omicron variant so far? Well, this was first identified by South African scientists in the middle of November. And it was identified by looking at a a routine test called a PCR that we use to test for COVID. And what they noticed was that the PCR test was behaving differently. And that alerted them to the fact that we might be seeing a different variant. And this was confirmed by a really excellent genomic surveillance group. Um, what, What we know, though, is worrying, and this is why it's getting a lot of attention, and that is that this variant has got more mutations than um, any variant that we've previously seen. It's got about 50 mutations. Some of those mutations we recognize because they're mutations that occurred with some of the earlier variants. And we know what they do in terms of the virus's behavior. Those mutations, for example, uh, in other variants have made it more transmissible. That means it spreads more easily from one person to another. And we've also seen mutations that might make the virus more resistant to the action of vaccines. Some of the other mutations, we, we don't know what their significance is. And it doesn't necessarily follow that because there's many, many more uh, mutations that this is, if you would like, a worse virus. There are other questions that we need to ask. First of all, Uh, transmissibility and what are we seeing out in the community and we are seeing that the numbers are increasing. Gauteng is obviously the centre of this and we're seeing the numbers really go up very quickly sort of doubling day on day so it does seem to be very transmissible. We're also asking the question of people who had infections with other variants are they likely to get reinfected and the answer to that is Well, we are seeing some reinfections. That doesn't mean that everyone will get reinfected because you will have antibodies, but we are seeing some reinfections, which does suggest 
that the variant is resistant to the antibodies that have been developed through natural infection. What we're still trying to work out, though, are some other important questions. One of them is, does this variant Omicron actually increase the severity of disease? Uh, to answer that, we're um, looking at people who are being admitted to hospital and trying to see whether or not uh, they are having more severe diseases that, than we saw with previous variants. It's too early for us to say yes or no to that because there's always a gap between when you get a new variant uh, emerging in a community and then seeing the impact of disease severity in the hospital. There's always a few weeks that go in between before you see those that increase, if there is going to be an increase. So far, we're not seeing more severe disease, which is encouraging, but we're going to have to really watch that space. There seems to be some evidence that children are more affected by this variant. What can you tell us about that? Yes, this is something that has been observed with hospital admissions. Um, and we're hearing this from hospitals um, in the private and in the public sector. We're seeing both young children, the sort of toddler age group and the under 12s and teenagers being admitted at a higher rate than we've previously seen. Now, it could be that because uh, they're young, that uh, doctors are being very cautious um, and admitting them not, not because they're desperately, desperately ill, but out of, out of caution because they're moderately ill. Um, we haven't seen very severe disease in this age group, which is, which is very good news. But we are obviously going to watch because um, with a new variant, uh, it, it's possible that uh, it will affect different target age groups to previous variants. Uh, so we're watching that very closely. It could also be that while, while with earlier variants, we saw, for example, a lot of elderly people being admitted, that a significant proportion of that age group now has had a vaccine, whereas children have not yet had vaccines. So it might be that uh, we've given more protection now to older people. But it's a, it's a, it's a question that we'll be watching very closely. Professor, South Africa is remaining on lockdown level one. Did you think that was a good call by government considering the rapid rise in infections? Should stronger restrictions have been imposed, particularly given the looming school holidays and the increased risk of super spreader events? Well, the first thing is, and I think we all appreciate this now because we've seen the impact of lockdowns on the economy, is that from a government perspective, there's going to have to be a balance between sensible evidence-based public health measures versus keeping the economy open because we don't want people to fall further into poverty. And we know already that this is what has happened because of, of the hard lockdowns and the economic impact of COVID. The second thing is that there are many questions that we simply don't know yet. Um, we don't know, although we know now that this is a very transmissible variant and that we are seeing some reinfections, but we don't know if it's going to cause more severe disease and put a huge strain on our health services. If in time we start to see that, um, and we start to see health services being overwhelmed as we saw when we had the third wave, then we could rethink uh, the, the whole um, lockdown uh, measures and to see whether others need to be introduced. But even so, what we're doing at the moment is, is, is reinforcing what we know works in terms of public health measures. Mask wearing is incredibly important. We now really do understand that this 
virus is spread by aerosols and by droplets. So wearing your mask properly is one of the most important things that, you, that anyone can do. Social distancing is, is extremely important. And we now also recognize that if you're in an enclosed space in a room, having the windows and the doors open, having ventilation, not being overcrowded is also very, very important. And even more so because this variant is clearly very transmissible. I think one area which we'll be watching very closely because it is the festive season is the question of mass gatherings. At the moment, we are allowing you know, numbers of people up to 2,000 to meet outside and 50% of capacity in indoor spaces like restaurants or gyms. But uh, I think if, if we do see the numbers really going up and health services becoming overwhelmed, the sort of numbers that we're allowing at these kinds of events will, will have to be reconsidered. Do you think there's a point where we will be able to live with COVID without restrictions and travel bans? Well, uh, it'll depend on how the virus evolves um, and um, what we see happening. In the sort of scientific debate, one of the views is that this is likely to become what's called an endemic virus. That means that it's going to be with us, just like influenza is, and it's and it might well become seasonal. So it'll come back in the cold months every year, just as we see with influenza. If that is what happens, then having an annual uh, vaccine will become very important. If we see continuous changes and new variants arising that are that cause, for example, more severe disease and will potentially uh, cause worse outbreaks in terms of, of mortality and issues like that, then obviously the sort of measures we've got now will have to continue. If we see that this almost sort of settles into an endemic flu-like illness, then the, the, the measures that we take will really focus very heavily on vaccinations. And we will be looking, and we are looking worldwide, at this, the next generation of vaccines so that uh, we can continue to improve the vaccines and eventually hopefully have vaccines that are more able to cope with the kind of mutations and variants that we're seeing emerging so that each time we have a variant, we don't have to hold our breath and say, will this vaccine work? So there's a lot of work now being done on, on improving the vaccines we have. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insights. That was international vaccine expert, Professor Helen Rees. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was produced with the help of Amy Gibbings.